So I've sat down, recorded, and re-recorded the introduction of this season of My Colorful Nana several times. My name is Lauren Stockman-Brown, and I'm nervous. I'm nervous because My Colorful Nana is inspired by my grandmother, Joyce Brown. My Nana has taught me many life lessons. When I was six, she taught me the healing power of a paint stroke. When I was 19, a picture of her sporting a beautiful afro sparked a new vision of living inside of myself. In her own way, she inspires me to be kind and move through life with generosity on my mind. I'm now 25, and my graduate work at Columbia University is inspired by Joyce Brown. Currently, my relationship to my grandmother is teaching me the painful and crucial realities of living a life that is cyclical, a life that aches, and a life that is colorful. Welcome to My Colorful Nana, Season 5, Growth and Development. I appreciate you being generous with your time and listening to these words. I hope you enjoy this season. first episode, we are going to sit down with Fareed Abdullah. Um, Fareed is a U.S. diplomat taking a sabbatical from diplomacy to think, write, and perfect the theory behind the art of being a diplomat. I really love the way he puts that, the art of being a diplomat. Um, He comes to the School of International and Public Affairs at Columbia with more than 14 years of experience at the U.S. Department of State. Fareed has worked and lived in several countries around the world, like Senegal, China, the United Arab Emirates, speaking several languages, and he enjoys the process of learning new ways of addressing persistent challenges. Uh, So yeah, I very much enjoyed this conversation with Fareed, and I hope that you will too. Thanks so much for listening. When I bring up, you know, that my work focuses on black hair. Yes. And it's within a theater and performance lens that's focused in the English department, right? There's a lot of confusion that can come up. Um, A lot of confusion in a sense where people don't first understand why black hair can serve as a medium to talk about um, growth and development from a strategic point of view. And I feel like with your diplomacy background, you can provide a level of language of how black hair functions, specifically in relation to growth, development, and then within a more communal space. Can you speak a little bit more to that? A common theme earlier in my career, when I was a baby to medium to young diplomat, (laughs) was... Fareed, how are you a U.S. diplomat? You're a black man. And this was coming from people overseas who have never been to the United States and have only interacted with the U.S. embassy and Americans tangentially. So through our pop culture, through our music, through our movies, etc. So seeing me in a business suit representing the United States in different form for them was strange. So what that meant for me was I need to show that America is also me. America Mm. is also her. America Mm. is also them. America is also him. Mm. There is no idea 
you can't paint a picture of who an American is because it's all of us. Yes. Right? And I've taken that and said, I'm going to stay true to myself. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stay true to who I am. I'm going to represent the America that I know, that I've experienced through my travels throughout this country and around the world, and represent and show people that there is more than one America. Now, mm-hmm. through my hair, also showing... America is different and as diverse as the different kinds of hair that we have. Mm. My colleague wearing a ponytail versus my colleague wearing beautiful locks versus my colleague wearing braids versus my colleague with a shaved head, we're all representative of America. We're all products of America. We all are proud to be American in different ways. Our features connect us to the rest of the world. Right. So when I'm in Senegal and there's people who have locks as well and they say, hey, by fall or they call me, <laughs> you know, by their cousin's name. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, I'm Farid. I'm from the States. They're like, oh, my God, we didn't know mm. that you existed in that space. And I'm like, yep. And I'm thriving. Yes. And there I am. So that helps mm. make an instant connection yeah. um, wherever I go, because people expect America to be one thing. Mm. And I'm able to say, hey, America's not just that one thing. America mm. is all of this and me. Yeah. I'm a part of that fabric. I'm a part of that cloth. You can't mm. separate America from me and vice versa. Yes. And look at me. I have my locks. I have my smile. I have my style. And I'm thriving in spaces mm. that I deserve to be in. Mm. Okay. I have a question that, that isn't on this sheet. Of course. Let's do it. Like, you so confidently are like, I'm an American. America can, like, bring this. America, America. And I know that I can get really hesitant in, like, owning our country in that way. Mm -hmm. And specifically when I was in Senegal, I just, I don't know, I just didn't feel as, like, um, empowered to do it. And definitely not in the States am I like, I'm an American. Like, how do you, and I feel that way because of, you know, our history and how this country has made me feel and the people I love feel and how do you, you know, balance that contradiction? Through my experiences in traveling around the world, and I, and I mentioned earlier, my family, my parents are Jamaican, I have Jamaican family. Mm. When I visit Jamaica, I am a visitor, I'm a guest. I don't have the shared experiences of spending national days in Jamaica and knowing the national anthem and knowing Mm -hmm. the politicians and voting and being in that community to experience the day-to-day things. Mm -hmm. I have that in the United States. I have the experience of of experiencing racism. The only time in my Mm -hmm. life that I've ever been called the N-word by somebody maliciously was not in the United States. It was while I was overseas. Interesting. My relationship with being American is one that I recognize the opportunities that I have, Hmm. recognizing the privilege that I have, recognizing the opportunity to navigate different spaces without having the right last name, which Mm -hmm. is limiting in other countries as well. Yeah. Recognizing that America is not perfect but I can make my perfect America if I work hard for it. 
recognizing that mm. everybody's not going to agree with what I say just because of who I am. And that's their burden to bear, mm. right? I've been able to say, I'm proud to be an American. Mm. And somebody else will say, well, you're not representative of my America. And I'm like, that's your problem. Mm. And I'm not going to give you my energy. I'm not going to give you my space. I think there's only been one instance where I've been traveling and I was, you know, proud to be an American, representing the U.S. Embassy, press attache. And this guy <laughs> was like, that's so dangerous. You shouldn't say this. This was some person from another country. Mm. And he was like, I could be a terrorist or I could be something bad. And I was like, yeah, and I'm still going to be American. I'm still going to be proud. And I'm still going to be happy. And this is mm. a stupid conversation. And I got up and walked away. Mm. Right. Like, I'm not going to hide who I am to make somebody else feel more comfortable. That is not to diminish anybody else's experience and their relationship with the United States. Mm -hmm. I see social injustices happening just as everybody else. Mm -hmm. I feel it just as strongly as everybody else. So my relationship with the United States, I'm very happy-go-lucky sometimes. I mean, <laughs> I tried to join the military at one point. Really? Um, I, was, I did attend the Coast Guard Academy because I was going to be an officer in the military. Wow. Um, but they didn't offer the opportunity to go to overseas as quickly as I wanted to. Mm -hmm. um, so I went back into civilian life. So, yeah, I'm like a, I mean, I'm a U.S. diplomat. So I'm kind of like a cheerleader for the U.S. Yes. I, yes. I recognize that we have ways and... <laughs> Distances to travel were not a utopia, yes. but we are working towards it. And there's so many people who, have, who come from so many different spectrums. Even the work that you're doing allows us all to move towards where we need to go. Like we recognize we're not in a utopia, but we're getting there. Yeah. And your experiences, my experiences, the experiences of the person on the street and the myriads of people that we come across in every walk of life at every level of society help us get to where we need to go. And there mm. are haters, of course. but they're just going to be mad. They're just going to be, you know, that's their, their, their burden to mm. bear. They're just going to carry that hate with them. And I'm just going to keep on doing it. Yeah. Okay, two questions, if I can yeah. remember the second one. The first one, people often ask me, like, when I'm outside the States, you know, does America have culture? And I'm like, well, like, there's black culture, you know. How do you, like, kind of uh, engage with that question? I invite people to attend our events. And it's easier for me to do so as a diplomat because I know what's happening. Mm -hmm. So when somebody says, does America have culture? I'm like, hey, you know what's interesting? We have a breakdancing group coming next month, mm -hmm. or we have an author coming next month, or we have an artist coming, or a teacher who's here who can talk to different aspects of American culture. We have this day or that day that's coming up that can be recognized. Mm. We have movies that we can watch. We have music. And I think a really easy way to connect to people overseas is through mm. our biggest exports, which is our pop culture. Yeah. Right? There was a period where everybody around the world knows, knew, knows all the words and can dance to a Michael Jackson song. Yeah. He's universal. Now, the same people can do the same thing to an Elton John song or to Queen or to any number of musicians or any number mm -hmm. of products or any number of ideas and themes. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, they're all American. Yes. To say that America doesn't have culture, 
would be too small. America mm-hmm. has many different cultures, and maybe they don't take up so much space that they're internationally known, mm-hmm. but they take up enough space that if I wanted to say, I want to attend a Puerto Rican Day Parade, that's a part of the culture. If I want to go to a Hawaiian experience, you know, a Hawaiian themed experience, mm. that's also part of the culture. If I wanted to attend a Black History Month or not even during Black History Month, if I want to attend an event celebrating black writers and musicians and authors, mm. that's part of the culture. If I wanted to go to a rodeo or a barbecue festival or, you know, um, a race, like a NASCAR race, mm. that's also part of the culture. So I have to identify what culture means. And a lot of times people overseas say, oh, I have my national dress and this is our culture, super strong. Yeah. What does America have that's similar to this? And, you know, we have our fashion. It's different, but understanding how to weave the similarities together without mm. highlighting the differences, because we'll see that this, the differences are just so small the similarities are huge. And getting back to music, mm. yes, a country might sing in a certain way and they have a national song. And I'm like, in America, we have 50 national songs or 52, however you're mm. counting the states. Um, Hawaii has their vibe. Alaska has their vibe. Georgia has its vibe. New York has its vibe. And these are all little aspects of culture. And then you can break it down into Bronx has its vibe and Queens has its vibe. And it's all culture. Yeah. Mm. Okay, I'm not my, I remember my other question. Okay. <laughs> um, how does your identity, so I really want to move outside the States after my uh, program, which is, I should graduate in five years. <laughs> but um, after my program, I really want to live outside the States, in either West Africa or Europe. And I'm wondering how you have found your identity shifts and morphs based on the, the cultural context that you're, you're functioning in. I found that I needed to be a cultural chameleon when I just started. Now I bring things that make me happy with me to wherever I'm going whenever I need to be grounded. Hmm. I will travel with my PlayStation because (laughs) I like video games. I'm a gamer. Mm. Now with streaming, um, I'm able to say, I really like watching that film and it really brings me a sense of home. But... At the same time, I travel because I want to engage and I want to learn somebody else's experience. I mm. want to go to different restaurants and try somebody else's food. Mm. I want to look at museums through the lens of other artists and mm. try to understand what does this mean to me and how does this make me feel? Mm. So traveling has opened my eyes to different ways of doing common things, Mm. different ways of being patient. You know, when people ask me, what do I miss the most about America? I'm like, the ability to go into the post office and mail something and know that it's going to get there (laughs) in the time, right? (laughs) Yes. That is, that is my number one thing. Like having an address with numbers on it so I can tell somebody where I'm going (laughs) is something that I really absolutely cherish. Now Mm. it's exciting to say, all right, make a left at the black box that's on the floor and then look for the building with the blue door and then turn the third street on the right with a lamp that doesn't work. That's cool too. 
But it's also nice to be like, yeah, I'm at 123 Third Street. Stop. <laughs> on the west side. I'll see you in 10 minutes. Right? So just navigating and learning how to do that new things of common, of common practices is something that I relish and love. Mm. But I also know not to lose myself. Yeah. I also know that I can rock the fashion of Senegal, but I'm not Senegalese. Yeah. I can know that I can prepare Indian food, but I'm not Indian. And it's okay for me to do those things and navigate those cultures with respect mm. and still be Fareed. Mm. And that's something that I learned as I was able to travel. So, you know, if you're interested in traveling, the number one thing is you're not in America anymore. You will get lost. You will have to ask for help. You will have to interact with people. You will not know everything. Mm. And you will have to be okay with that. Yeah. And I'm okay with not knowing everything. Yeah, that was definitely a huge adjustment <laughs> for me. I feel like especially coming like right after undergrad, practically, it's like, they're like, okay, now you can do everything you want to do. You've done this like four years of a degree, like you got it. And then I'm dropped in Senegal and I'm like, I don't know anything about how to be a person, you know? How did you like Senegal? How, how was your experience? I loved it. I loved it. It was phenomenal. Um, it changed my life in ways that like I have trouble trying to describe and like we're in my apartment now, right? So if you look around here, it's all Senegal. It's all like everything that like made me feel alive. It just made me realize like there's so much life beyond the luxuries that I've always been around. The fact where it's like almost like the only thing that I know. Um, and there's so much more like wealth that comes from interacting with like plants and like dirt and cooking um and like that just those little daily things of like having to like hold garlic or something like brought me so much joy and it was my first time living um for an extended period of time outside of the states so i feel like i just really found myself and senegal is like very religious as you know so like being around such a um spiritual community i don't feel like i am connected to one specific religion but i definitely feel very spiritual and i felt that way for a while but i think senegal gave me that that language to talk about what my faith is hmm. um and like just like waking up at 5 a.m to prayer was <laughs> yeah, equally as as frustrating as it was like wow like people are up right now thinking about like living and existing and what like that feels like and like wanting to share that with other people and everyone prayed outside my apartment on Fridays and having to like delicately walk around them to like go to the gym like you know like and it was like why do I do what I do in my life why do they do what they do in their life and how can I make those like both those things feel okay hmm. you know um so I would say like I found my faith in Senegal can I ask you, what was your experience like finding your first hairdresser? Ooh. Well, honestly, um, so I've always had a complicated relationship to my hair. Um, so I was very nervous for that to now, even in like, like Senegal, right? Like it should be so easy because everyone's doing their hair and everyone has braids. One, and one would think. <laughs> one would think, yeah. Um, but I actually talked to a lot of um, black American expats and was like, who's someone that you use? And there was a Sen Senegalese woman who would come to my apartment. And I, I don't regret it, but I think that if I were to live in Senegal again, I would go to the hairdresser. Um, but I, would, I don't think I felt comfortable enough to do that. Um, just because, I don't know, like, 
I was afraid that like when I would go into a hairdresser in Senegal, they would know that like I'm not Senegalese. And then I was just afraid of like how they would, how like being perceived. That's interesting. What was your... Well, I kind of do the same thing that you do, um, but I basically looked at people whose hair was fly. And I was like, where did you get your hair done? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I would go to the hair salons mm. and through the years have learned to say, hey, stop, that's a bit too tight. Or Yes, standing please, up for yourself is yes. huge. Like, please don't use scissors on my hair. It took me mm. a long time. This, this is my hair. Yes. And I found an amazing salon where the people were just patient and kind. And it was always mm. nice walking into that salon, which mostly women were at, and feeling good and leaving there looking good mm. and smiling like, hey, hey. <laughs> Hey, now I don't know. I couldn't talk to anybody because I was still very shy about French. Yes. Um, but it was awesome because it was a community experience that no matter where I am in the mm. world, they're having people are having fun in salons. People are doing their hair. They're they're coming in gloomy and leaving fly. Yes. And it was a nice adventure that's built into the experience of traveling. Yes. For me. Yes. Because it is, like, definitely, like, that was something I was concerned about. It was, like, who is going to do my hair when I'm gone for this period of time? For the longest time, <laughs> I kept it short, and I traveled with my own clippers because I didn't trust anybody to get it just right. And it's, like, we're in Africa. You I know. know what I mean? Like, if I anyone know. can do our hair, like, <laughs> I was, like, nope. Like, I got to do it myself. <laughs> I know. And, you know, it, again, it took me a little while to to get comfortable and confident with doing that. Mm. Um, going, you know, growing my hair out, trusting the professional to make me look as nice as I want to look yeah. and being happy about it. And honestly, I found the right mix of the barber and the salon. And I was always happy mm. when I left there with my hair done. Okay, another question for you, since we're on Senegal, like I know that there's a stigma in like how dreads are carried within Senegalese culture. Yes. How did you... I don't know, deal with it is the right word, but kind of carry yourself throughout that. The benefit of having worked hard at my younger years means that I'm able to self-select myself out of situations where other people's ignorance can have an adverse Mm -hmm. effect on me. Mm -hmm. If I was in spaces where people's ignorance towards my hair meant that they treated me different, I didn't need to be in that space. I didn't need to interact with them. That's their problem. That's their cross to bear. Mm. Um, so I basically, you know, people, people, when people would try to treat me differently based on a characteristic like my hair or a characteristic like my skin, guess what? I don't need you to thrive. I'm mm-hmm. going to thrive anyway. I'm just going to put you to the side. And whether I've done that... Um, in the wrong way or whether I've done that too soon, it's always protected my energy mm. and I am completely okay with that. And there have been times when people I've met again in other spaces and they were like, you kind of dismissed me. Mm. And I was like, you know, I had to protect my energy because I just didn't get that vibe from you and I don't think any worse of you. I don't think any better of you. I just needed to keep on moving. Yes. In Senegal, it was very... 
Um, I felt proud to be able to walk in the halls of Senegalese government and American government and interact with mm. the Secretary of State and other and the President of Senegal himself rocking my locks. Yes. I didn't see anybody else in the room or in the government with locks worn proudly. Yes. And I said, I'm going to do me. And, you know, you want to have this meeting with the Secretary of State? You got to go through me. So you're going to figure it out. <laughs> right. You can tell your boss you didn't want to interact with somebody because they had locks, yes. which has no bearing on the work I do. Yes. Which is excellent work, I, I think. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, it, I, I had already overcome my self-consciousness of my hair. Yeah. And I was proud of my hair and I loved it. And it allowed me to connect with the young people and the people that I wanted to connect with. So in professional settings, I've already established I'm a professional. Yeah. I don't need to prove anything. Hmm. What did you, you said you've done work in your younger years. Like what did you do in your younger years to make you find that sense of self? Living in Saudi Arabia as the only person of color in my classes for several years hmm. meant that I had to understand what my role is and what my presence meant in spaces that I did not look like anybody else. I had to be comfortable in my own skin from a very early age. Being in the United States, we have the luxury of being in spaces where people look like us, where people have that shared experience. But what if you go into a space that nobody has that shared experience and nobody looks like you and not malicious, but they just don't know. Yeah. You might be the first person from the United States, the first black boy, the first black girl that they've met in their life. Mm -hmm. And the only other people they've seen that look like you are on television. Who doesn't give the best outlook of who you are. Yes. So now you have to like change that and have to be like, you know what? This is who I am. I'm not, you know, a superhero. I'm not a comedian. I'm not a bad person. Mm -hmm. I'm not a criminal or a drug dealer or an athlete. <laughs> I'm Fareed. Yes. Right? You're going to know me. I have to know myself. I have to be comfortable with myself. So that experience in navigating and also the experience in coming back to the United States in high school and trying to connect with people who do look like me, who have a different background than I do, mm. was also instrumental in me finding out who I was and making me comfortable as I move in the world, in and out of spaces, in and out of places, in and out of languages, to things that are familiar and things that are unfamiliar. Hmm. Is it fair to say that your hair and your relationship to it holds the complexity of who you are? 100%. Hmm. People will look at me and say, Fareed, oh, that's an Arabic name. Are you Arab? No, I'm not. You have locks. Are you a Rastafarian? No, I'm not. Hmm. Why do you have it? I like it and I can. Hmm. It, it, that's, it's who I am. I really do wish that I had a more deeper reason for growing my hair out than other than I like it and it represents me and my artistic self and my authentic self. But that's really what it is. People ask me how long I'll keep it and I'll, I say I keep it until I don't want to have it anymore. Mm. I've wanted to have them for the last five years. I love my lock journey. I love learning new things and interacting mm. and going to salons and laughing and having care when people are doing my hair and touching my hair and feeling mm -hmm. that warmth and that connection. There's something there. Mm -hmm. My hair is a part of me. It's not the only part of me. Mm -hmm. And that's important that I recognize that. Mm. 
Okay, I love that. I'm really enjoying this conversation. Me as well. This is awesome. <laughs> um, okay, so I have three more questions. Um, so we use this term generous thinking. And for me, generous thinking is like the fact that you woke up and you came here and you're talking to me and you ask me questions and it's just kind, right? Um, for you, how would you define generous thinking? I would define generous thinking as the ability to get better constantly and then outwardly as the ability to allow others to reintroduce themselves as many times as they need to. Mm. Sometimes people are having a bad day and you meet them and the energy isn't there. Mm -hmm. And then you meet them again and they're like the most special person that you've Mm. ever thought to meet. Generous thinking allows me to say Fareed 10 years ago, Fareed five years ago, and Fareed today have grown and is going to continue to grow and try to grow. Mm. And I'm okay with making mistakes and I'm okay with not being right and I'm okay with sometimes doing the wrong thing and learning lessons from that to Mm. get better in the future and being myself and being generous with myself to be like, you're not perfect, you're learning, you're growing. Mm. It's okay if you make a mistake. I love that. Um, okay. what, does, what does generous thinking mean to you? Um, well, for me, um, when I was an undergrad, I was taking this post-colonial theory course. Um, so I was 19 or 20. And my professor, I loved her. She was actually a white woman who was teaching us um, different films, actually, like by Usan Semban, and that was like where I got into a lot of my Africana studies as okay. well. Um, and I loved participating, and like, I would share, oh, this relates to my life, or like, didn't know, like, an adele- you know, I don't want to take up too much space, right? Um, but she was like, Lauren, like, you're a very generous thinker. And I just loved it. It was like the best compliment I could have ever received in my academic career. And I always wanted to know what like other people thought. And for me, it's just like my nature. Like it's not really, you know, I just love it. Like the fact that podcasting is a form, like is great, but like in general, I just want my day to day to be like this. Yeah. Um, so generous thinking to me is just moments like that where you can bring something out of people mm. that feels like unexpected or when someone asks you a question that they never thought that like they would be asked before. Like there's something that goes on in like their body language, their eyes. And like, I love that generosity that like comes from that. So that's what generous thinking is to me. Thank you. Of course. Um, okay, this one's a tough question, I think, for anyone who exists in this life. But <laughs> what's next for you? I'm at Columbia to take a pause from active diplomacy to think and write, to learn things that I haven't learned and to interact with colleagues and get different ideas and new ways of thinking about common and old issues and problems. Mm. I'm on sabbatical and I can go back into the State Department and I am probably 80% sure that I will go back into the State Department. Mm as I'm exposed to different ideas and different pathways and different professionals and coaches, uh, professors, etc., some of me is thinking to continue learning, continue down this path. Now, we never stop learning. Yes. Um, but if, my, if, I end lear- if I end my academic career with a PhD versus a master's, you know, that's mm. dope too. Um, if an opportunity presents itself where I'm able to utilize what I've learned 
and weave it into the experience of being an American diplomat mm. in my career, then that's the path that I'm going to, going to pursue. Mm-hmm. But as of right now, I'm leaving myself the freedom to look at what's out there, but also the safety knowing that I am a diplomat. I am a mm. U.S. diplomat. I still actively engage in the art and the science of diplomacy. Mm. And I really love that space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it has to be something really interesting to, to make me take more time away from diplomacy. Yeah. Um, but I'm exploring. That's, yeah. that's what's next. Allowing myself the space and the generosity to explore what being here as a master's student at Columbia at SIPA is. Mm. Okay. And also, how does it feel to come back into like student zone, right? Like you're no longer like, oh, for real. Like, you're still a diplomat, obviously, but yeah. people don't know that, right? Yeah. Unless you tell them. So what's um, that? <laughs> humbling? <laughs> it's, it's very humbling, and it's really awesome to see all of my classmates and colleagues and professors who have a world of experience behind them as mm. well. They're so impressive. Like, every single day I meet somebody, and I'm just like, oh, my God, you did that? Or you're participating in that? Or mm. this is who you are? And, you know, you've got five languages behind you and you're still so awesome and still learning. Mm. I made a commitment to myself that when I came to grad school, I would not be the person saying, well, actually, <laughs> good. <right>? That's, that's <laughs> not who I am at all. Thank God. <laughs> and I, I start the semester with the introduction that I don't have all the answers and I am okay being wrong please challenge me so I can expand my thinking. Mm. I want to leave Columbia knowing more than I did when I got here. Yeah. And that means reading all the things, doing all the things, struggling to study, struggling to grasp concepts. But that's why I'm here, to learn new things. Yeah. So I feel like if I had came right out of undergrad or 10 years later, I would still have that wonder for learning new things. And I am... So full of new things that it's hard yeah, to go to sleep to at digest, night, to digest. Yes. yes. But that's what I'm here for. Amazing. Um, okay, my last question. So what advice would you give someone um, like me or someone else who's very much at the start of their career, um, interested in cultivating unique spaces within a system, um, I'm interested in going to academia or government, nonprofit, even corporate, I'm looking at consulting, but I know that all of these spaces can feel quite stiff for their own reasons, um, even predetermined in like who they expect me to be. How would you um, suggest that I navigate that even at this point? Knowing who you are and holding on to that is super important. Outwardly and inwardly. Playing the game is also super important. You have to know exactly who you are and what you're okay with and what spaces you're okay in being in. And also know that you deserve to be in every single space there is. There is no exclusionary space that is for a quote-unquote them and a quote-unquote you. You deserve to be wherever you decide to be. If you decide today that you want to be a medical student and a cardiothoracic surgeon, hey, go for it. You're going to have to put that work in. So what I would say to you is, and anybody that is starting their career is, you can do whatever you want to do. You also have to be prepared to do the work. Because if you don't do the work, it doesn't matter how much you want it, it's not going to come to you. Yeah. 
And don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of failing. Don't be afraid of being wrong. Don't be afraid of having your ideas challenged. Um, and have fun, right? Live. Do you. Be authentic. Because a poet once said, um, Sean Carter, and this is the only time I'm going to curse, but he said, what you eat don't make me shit. And I carry that very strongly because everybody else can have opinions on my life but at the end of the day it's my life and I gotta make sure that I'm living it to its fullest wish I knew how it would feel to be free I wish 